My name is Della, Della Amvarali. Well, Amvarali, obviously, not, maybe not obviously in this day and age, was my husband's name, which I took on. Original name was Della Hazelden. Came here in 1972. My husband promised me we were coming for two years. Born in Lancashire, uh, in a little town called Lee, uh, where Andy Burnham comes from. Uh, but did my education in Liverpool and got married. And as I say, came here with my husband. Oh no, before that, went to Karachi for a little while. Uh, got mixed up in an Indo-Pakistan war. So, so came home literally with a suitcase full of nappies and two babies and a husband missing in action. <laughs> and then and when he eventually got back over here, there was a job going in Great Yarmouth. Got married and my first child was born 11 months after we got married. And my husband's family, my husband is originally from Pakistan, um, although he did his education here. So we went to live in Pakistan. We sold everything we had here. Uh, my husband was a doctor. So we were going to go back and live in Pakistan. We went over there. I unfortunately got pregnant again fairly quickly. I found I was quite good at getting pregnant. Then there was this uh, Indo-Pakistan war broke out, which had to do with Bangladesh. Bangladesh was then called East Pakistan. So it came from there. My husband being a doctor was called up for the army, just automatically called up. And he went missing in action. Actually, he was a prisoner of the Indian army, but we didn't know that. So our government flew out all the women and children of who have British uh, passports. And so I was back in the UK with two babies, one literally in my arms and the other one a toddler. And we were allowed one suitcase. Well, it was full of nappies and baby stuff, wasn't it? My husband, thank God, managed to get out about three months after I'd been here. We were desperately short of everything. I, I mean, we'd taken everything over there and it got stuck in Pakistan. Um, so a job came up at what was the old Great Yarmouth Hospital. It was a two-year contract. So we came down here for two years. Yarmouth Hospital is near St George's Theatre. It's now a, a block of uh, retirement flat. So he worked between that hospital and the old Lowestoft Hospital. Um, and even in those days, the plan was to build a new hospital where the James Paget is now, but that took years to come and we weren't going to be there for that anyway. Unfortunately, when I say unfortunately, boringly, I've had my DNA done and done my family tree. I come from Lancashire, 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 like going back generations. It actually said, when I had my DNA done, it said, South, uh, Northwest England, specifically Wigan. It actually said, Wigan. <laughs> so your husband was Pakistani? Yes. I mean, when he was born, it was part of India. Yeah. There was yeah. No, it wasn't subdivided. But uh, yes. He so was how did you meet him? Uh, he was working in Liverpool, uh, where I was also working as a student nurse at Whiston Hospital, which is on the outskirts of Liverpool. So that's how we met. Although, no, that's not quite true. We did meet there. But I had converted to Islam. Before you met him? Before I met him. So I was then, and this sounds very predatory, but it isn't. I was looking for a husband who was a Muslim. I saw this guy, I quite like the look of it, of him. So I let my Muslim friends know that 
I quite liked him. Um, we were introduced. Your interest in Islam, where did that come from? Liverpool was quite diverse even then. Um, there was a large um, West Indian community for start off, a lot of them being um, escaped slaves. Uh, there was a large Chinese population going back hundreds of years. And there was a small Asian community. Actually, it was from an area, specifically from an area which is now in the north of Pakistan. Um, so there was so there was a street in Liverpool where you had a couple of Indian shops. They were quite grubby little run-down shops in those days, but, but there was that there. But that, but, but that didn't come like that. It, I was a, a churchgoer, um, a Christian, went to church, never lost faith in God, but did find myself questioning mostly the Holy Trinity, the idea of God the Father, God yes, the Son, yeah. God the Holy Ghost. So I started reading up about religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, you name it. Making beds one day on the ward with a uh, ward orderly, and please note she was a ward orderly, not a nurse, by accident found out she was a Muslim. And so I was telling her how I had been studying all these religions and how I had a problem with this Holy Trinity. And she just said, oh, well, as a Muslim, we believe there is only one God and he has no partners. And that was the beginning, really. And it just grew from there. Early 60s. Okay. Did you come across any uh, opposition or did you, did you find people supportive? I mean, I'm talking about, um, amongst kind of white British community. Uh, my family disowned me, albeit temporarily, but they certainly disowned me for some years. Uh, my family didn't come to my wedding or anything like that. Uh, yes, I lost a lot of friends. I lost quite a few friends. Um, so I lost my Christian friends. I lost my Christian family. And I wasn't, to begin with, totally accepted by the Muslim community either because I was this weird white person. Um, so, so they were at that time. At that time, it was very quite uncommon. Um, so, I yeah, I went through quite a, a difficult stage of not quite belonging anywhere, and not being quite sure who or what I was. So, how did you find? Well, you had a resilience, the strength to carry on in that. In that well, I uh, yeah, at that time, I think because I had discovered what what to me is this wonderful religion that's what carried me on and my persistence endeared me eventually to the islamic family um but yes i i think i was young um and and i was very sure at that time that i was on this straight path um so and that's what carried me forward at that time i think a lot of people make the mistake we hear because the word we use for god is allah Allah just means God. It, if, if you're an Arab Christian, you would still call God Allah. It's just the Arabic word for God. So we believe in the same God that is worshipped by Christians and Jews, and I'm sure by many other people, but it's the same God. And we have the same traditions. So Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael and all the 
profits. We believe in all of those. So the, the first tenant is basically that there is only one God. We didn't have a son. Jesus is a, we revere Jesus very much as the most important prophet who will rise again at the end of time. Um, we just don't see him as God's son. Um, so that's the that's the the big thing that that's the absolute most important thing that people need to understand. And of course, we believe that Muhammad was was the last prophet in the whole long line of prophets, uh, and that God through the angel Gabriel Gabriel taught him the Quran, and that the Quran is the final word of God. And that you follow that book, basically. Um, as a Christian might say they followed the New Testament and a Jew might say that they followed the Torah, the same principle. And everything else comes off from that, really. So it's a belief in one God and a belief that the Quran is the final word of God. And anything else we believe stems from that, really. Moving to this area, yeah. did you find the same resistance or no, we didn't there wasn't a lot of resistance at the beginning Mars there were hardly any of any of us here uh, when we moved here there were two or three families who all worked at the hospital and all lived on a little housing estate which is now Cliff Park housing estate in Gawson so people didn't notice us if you like because there were, we were so few in number um, I think uh, you only get noticed when the numbers increase and then people begin to feel mistakenly threatened by these alien people that are in their midst. How did you deal with that? How do I still deal with it? <laughs> um, I mean, you just have to, you have to stand up for yourself, definitely. But not allow yourself to be beaten down by by stuff. You you, you just learn to cope with it. And nine eleven was besides besides the horrid thing, the awful thing that it was in the loss of human life. It was also horrid from a change in the way people saw Muslims world over. Um, so, you know, it was a, people forget that Muslims died in 9-11. Um, they were working in that building the same as, as other people working in that building. Um, but it certainly put the spotlight on Muslims and it started the anti-Islamophobic, the, anti the Islamophobic rhetoric really uh, came from there. Before then, most people, we, we were just another foreign group of foreigners. I will get people who get to know me who will say, well, you're not like most Muslims, are you? Type conversations. And what they mean is, we, I don't know any other Muslims at you and you're not, you don't fit the picture that I've got in my head. Media has a lot to do with that stereotyping. The newspapers in particular, but everywhere, you know, there's so many groups of people who get the stereotypes. It's not just Muslims. Mm. It's gay or you're a lesbian or whatever. You use a wheelchair, whatever. You know, if you use a wheelchair, you haven't got a brain, have you? You've got to ask the person pushing the wheelchair because that person in the wheelchair is not capable. So it, it, it is that. If, you, if people get to know us, and we as a community, the Muslim community in Yarmouth, 
have over the last 10-15 years made a, a very strong effort to be known outside the mosque. Um, so we were instrumental in setting, in helping to set up um, an interfaith group in Yarmouth, which is quite healthy. Um, and in that group there are Christians, there are Jews, there are Hindus, there are pagans, anybody who wants to say they've got any a faith. And we meet regularly and that has been a really healthy place for getting across that not not only about Islam but I had never met or never knowingly met a pagan before for example my idea of what a, a pagan was was totally ridiculous when I look back on it now you know what I what my idea of a pagan was some sort of Dennis Wheatley was he the man who wrote the books about um the devil and that was my idea of what paganism and of course it's nothing like that at all and, and I was going to say, I have got many friend, pagan friends, but that sounds really, you, that, you know how that sounds. <laughs> um, no. Um, so it's, it's been a learning process all around. But for example, when I was in a hospital last year, I was quite poorly for a while. And there is a chaplaincy at the James Paget. At that time, there was not a, a Muslim chaplain. But I had visits from friends of mine who were the, the Roman Catholic chaplain and Donna was there, you know. Uh, I was having visits from chaplains of other faiths just because they were my friends as opposed to the fact that they were chaplains. Is there a, um, a Muslim chaplain now? There apparently there is. I haven't yet met, excuse me, I haven't yet met him. I'm assuming it's a him, but I don't know that for a fact. Um, but they didn't have one. I was in hospital last November, almost a year ago. They didn't have, they'd never had one up until that point. But my understanding, they've got one now. For example, there's no Jewish synagogue in Yarmouth. There hasn't really been a Jewish community in Yarmouth since they were literally kicked out a couple of hundred years ago. So if you want, if you happen to be Jewish and live in Yarmouth, you've got to go to Norwich for a synagogue. We go on Holocaust Memorial Day as the uh, interfaith group. We join the service there. Uh, and it's, when you look back, you think they weren't even allowed to be buried inside the town. I think if we'd have been around, by we, I mean Muslim, we probably would be the same. In this area, did you yeah. notice any changes? Yeah, it's certainly become more diverse. Um, when, as I said, when I when we came, there were just a few doctors. There was a uh, a Greek community here, um, Greek or, who had a Greek Orthodox church, and at that time there were Americans here because the oil business was just starting up, the gas business, and so we had a, quite a few Americans here. But everybody else had either probably lived here most of their their life you know there weren't many outsiders an outsider was somebody from Norwich you know <laughs> let's see uh, I, I our neighbor um, where where we where we lived before I moved into this bungalow my neighbor who was about the same age as me for him to go to Norwich was a big event you know he literally had lived and hardly ever left the area Lowestoft 
Yarmouth, Gorston, and Norwich very occasionally. And that was so that was how it was really. There are now uh, there's more diverse populations, although they tend to be fairly transient. They come for a couple of years and then move on. So we had we had the Kurdish people coming through when there was uh, when there was the Iraq wars and what have you, and the Kurdish people. We got a lot of Kurdish refugees who came in. in excuse me, and then they've moved on since then. Um, and then with the EU, we got quite a few Portuguese and various. Portuguese mainly because Bernard Matthews imported quite a lot of Portuguese people and now some of them have stayed and you know we've got some really great Portuguese cafes. We also had uh, people then that came from places like Lithuania. A lot of those people since Brexit of course left. Some of the some of the Portuguese I'm glad to say have stayed and then recently we've had more people from the African subcontinent. Quite a few from Nigeria when I say quite a few, I've not, I, I mean a couple of handful, of, um, that's a lot for Yarmouth, uh, from Nigeria and some from uh, Sudan, South Sudan and places like that. So yes, it is more diverse than it was, but it's still not very diverse. I worked part-time when my kids were very little. Um, and then later on, I went and did a, a master's degree in social science so that I could go into more to the management side. And then with that behind me, I went to work over. So I still kept my house here, my family were here, but I went and worked, uh, for example, in the Lebanon for a year in um, Palestinian refugee camps in the Lebanon. And then subsequently we went and worked in Pakistan. In the Lebanon I was helping set up a school of nursing in in South Lebanon. Um, there were refugee camps down there that had hospitals but very few trained staff so a lot of the people who worked as nurses were actually not not qualified nurses they were really they were just like nursing auxiliaries but who gained a lot of knowledge because of what they'd seen and had to do, didn't actually have a qualification. So I went out there with a, a charity called Medical Aid for Palestinians. And the idea was, and we did, we opened a school of nursing. And so my job was uh, to oversee the, the project and then also to come up with um, the syllabus and policies and procedures. So my job was more on, on that side. So that when I left, all all the stuff was there for people to carry on. Me, really. uh, I was involved in the hospital in Pakistan, which uh, the the guy who's now the prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, who originally was the captain of their world beating cricket team, he decided his mother died of stomach cancer, and he decided he wanted to build a hospital that would have all the latest treatments available and would be free at the point of contact for the people of Pakistan. And it isn't, Pakistan doesn't have a national health service. He wanted to run this hospital. And I got involved with that. And that hospital is now three hospitals and is well looked up to in, in, in the world of oncology. 
that is the thing I must I was there I still have in my bedroom a piece of blue tile that was part of the decoration for the outside of the building that I chose <laughs> and I know it seems silly but that little piece of blue tile is symbolic for me of that beautiful hospital that was built. I, obviously I wasn't the only person but well, little things when, when we arrived there they'd started to build the building and the idea was that people would either be in one or two bedroom little wards and they made the door frames but they've made the door frames the same size as the house door frame. Well, you can't get a hospital bed. I was about to say, how are you going to get the bed through? Exactly. Yeah. So they all had to be knocked down. <laughs> that was me. I went round the first day and went, but, but, you can't get a bed through here. <laughs> so that was me. And, unfortunately, the language of the hospital, of the hospital was English. So I learned how to buy potatoes and things like that, but I couldn't hold a conversation. I came back to, to the UK in the year 2000 because my husband, who'd been out with, with me for a little while, had come back because he couldn't live in Pakistan. I know that sounds strange. It was the country of his birth, but he just couldn't live, couldn't cope with living there. And he then became ill. He, he then developed a chronic cardiac condition and he actually needed me home to look after him, really. Um, so I came back in 2000, May, uh, uh, the first instant was to look after, help, help look after him. I did it mostly on my own, all, because although he was unwell, he, he wasn't, I didn't have to look after him 24-7. Yeah, so, some of the men came, would, from the mosque would, yes, would come and visit him. I'm not saying, he got, he got the support he needed, I didn't need the support. So people would come and visit him or even take him out and things. Well, of course, we have a mosque now in Yarmouth. So since we've had a mosque, it's been great, if you know what. Um, and, and so before we had a mosque, Ramadan was kind of lonely because you were just in your house fasting and breaking your fast. Since we've had a mosque this last 10, 12 years, we are a community, although we don't live... We're not a community of place, but we, we meet at the mosque and the mosque has facilities for men, women, children, what have you. So it's not, it's, it's quite good. You know, we meet up at the mosque, we break fast together. Um, we can either break fast, we, meet, we go to one another's houses and break fast. So, and uh, we usually have, not since COVID, but pre-COVID, we would have one iftar, breaking of fast, that we'd have a, a, as a public event and we'd invite people from other churches, from police, people from the town hall. So we'd do a community iftar. And our Eid party, we've always, for many years now, invited non-Muslims to our, to our Eid party. Um, one, because it, allowed, it, it increases our people's knowledge of us. And two, it's great. You know, the more, if you're having a party, then the more people, the merrier, isn't mm -hmm. it? Do people make assumptions about you? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm in the house. I've only got my head covered like this, but uh, if I'm going out, I, I don't cover my face, but I do veil. Um, so that apparently changes the colour of my skin because people immediately assume I'm a foreigner and that I probably, possibly don't speak English. So, yes, if, if I 
it, it's amazing what a difference it makes. People make assumptions that I'm not a not English, uh, and b maybe somebody not not to what no. If I'm on a bus with my my with my headscarf on, every other seat will get filled up before the seat next to me. You know. How do you feel about that? Shrugs her shoulders. Mm. <laughs> that's mm. that's the way it is. Mm. But it's, it's it's quite obvious. I have a, a son and a daughter. I have a daughter who is one hundred percent Pakistani. She doesn't appear to have an English gene in her body. <laughs> and I have a son who is one hundred percent English, um, and he's fair skinned. He he tans nicely in the summer, but he's basically fair skinned. So it's quite interesting. So my daughter has lived a lot of her adult life overseas. She's back in this country now. Um, yes, I'm sure she has. I think they both uh, certainly had issues at school, but they're both pretty strong characters. and things. They wouldn't submit to being bullied or anything like that. My son changed his first name to an English because he, he looks totally white. He has an English first name. He can go around and say, hi, I'm Sid, not I'm Saeed. It's, it's, it's awful that you have to do that, that anyone has to do that. But it's that's how it is, I'm afraid. Mm. You know, it, uh, I know there have been experiments, haven't they? People applying for jobs and those with the anglicised names got called for interview and those mm. without didn't. My daughter's name is Shireen, which is not too unusual for it to stand out. But my son's name was Saeed and he changed it to Sid. Um, I think Yarmouth, being a small insular town, is a small insular town and, and therefore tends to be worse. I, I go to Norwich and it's a different experience. Uh, but Norwich is a city, it's a multicultural city. Um, I mean, I'm sure there is there are issues. I've never lived there, but as a person shopping in Norwich or just generally being in Norwich, I feel I treat, get treated less differently. Um, so yeah, I I think I I wouldn't like to say Yarmouth specifically. I think it probably applies to a lot of small insular towns. When I first came to this area, I hated it. It's flat. And I came from the hills of Lancashire. Um, I love the flatness now. I love, I love the coast. I love the sea. I love the, how the how the uh, the seasons change around. More so, I think. I, I guess they change inland as well. But the sea is, is so. I love living here from that point of view. I've got lots of nice friends. I have a nice community. I think we need to have a council that is more positive and more understanding of diversity i think a lot of the it's there's a lot of lip service to diversity without actually anything happening if you go in the town hall i'm not sure you will see very much diversity i've had communications from the town hall when god bless them they're really trying hard when I've been invited to events, we have been invited to events, and would you like to bring a typical Muslim meal type thing? You know, we're having, that shows their lack of understanding mm. because there's no such, 
My typical Muslim meal is roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, <laughs> rice pudding I love. I had reaching out where the intentions are good, but the result is the opposite. We do have a really nice police force. And I'm not saying that because I want to get off with a speeding ticket or anything. The, the police force in Yarmouth over the years have really reached out to our community. And I know, yes, they might want to be involved with us to make sure that we're not all building bombs in, in the back room. But I don't think it is. They've actually gone out of their way to help us when we've had various bits of hate, silly stuff gone. And, and just to get to know us. So yes, the police force in Yarmouth, compared to maybe some of the, what we hear about the Metropolitan Police Force, I don't know if it's true or not, I wouldn't think of moving anywhere else now. And I think that means I've got a connection. Mm. When I first came, in fact, the first 10 years I was here, I still supported Liverpool Football Club and I still plan to go back. I then got to a point when I started support Norwich Football Club and, and I now have no intentions of moving anywhere else. So I guess I have a connection. Yeah, and I've done quite a bit of work with various... I, for example, there's a local um, amateur football club that I was helping for quite a few years and, and things like that. And I've done a, quite a bit of work, not just with my community, but mm. with other communities. And I think, And I think you have to do that. If you're a marginalised group, you can do one of two things. You can either stay in your own four walls, whatever those four walls are, and keep out of trouble. Or you can go out there, face the music, and get allow people, as many people as possible, know you, whether that's you in a wheelchair, or you with your headscarf on, or you with your black skin. And because the more people that get to know you, in my opinion, the more people realise that they're mistaken in their views of what you are. So I have deliberately gone out of my... Since 9-11, I made a conscious decision when 9-11 happened. I was going to put myself about so that I wasn't going to go and hide. I was going to put myself about and say, you know, to show people I'm a Muslim as well and, and I'm not not carrying a rucksack. They've come and gone, and there is one at the minute, whose name I can't remember, uh, because I'm not involved with it. Years ago there was one, bring out a, a monthly magazine full of stories about, and they used to meet up once or twice a year. And I was involved with that years ago, but that went, and others have come on. And I do know there are a couple now. And for example, there is a, uh, there is a, LGBT group for Muslims as well because unfortunately within Islam they are margin, margin so they're the most marginalised of the most marginalised God bless them um, so there are various groups to help various people yes so yes there are for, uh, there are groups for converts culture oh gosh what do I understand with because well, I often use that and say that's culture not religion Culture is the, the things that you are normalised to, either within your family or the community in which you live. So, so I would use culture to say, if somebody said to me, oh, 
you're a Muslim, you, you eat biryani at Eid. I would say, no, that's cultural to the Indian subcontinent. In my culture at Eid, I have turkey. Culture is something that you are socialised or normalised in. Grandson is at university at the minute doing graphic design and some of the stuff he does blows my mind. I am rubbish. I am. My, my art is my garden. I grow things. I grow, you know, I grow stuff. Um, I can't, I look, I, I can appreciate art, but I can't do it. I've tried, I'm rubbish. I think I've been to most of the big art galleries, certainly in London and Liverpool, Manchester places. Modern art on the, no, abstract art doesn't often do it for me. I, I'm very much more a, a, a realist, so if I like nature, I like scenic stuff. Some abstract art I like, but on the whole, I like to, I like to see something that I can recognise. You know, the fact that something's called a name, but it seems to, to me just to be uh, some colours on a... It, it doesn't... And, and I appreciate that other people do. Um, I have been the, uh, on King Street. I've been in the gallery that got on King Street a couple of times. If I'm in a town and there's an art gallery, I've done the Amsterdam galleries, spent a whole day. So, yes, I would do. There's a, quite a push in the last few years. That a, a few years ago, I wasn't aware of much in the way of art in Yarmouth. But in the last... And I can't put a date on them because COVID's knocked everything out of kilter. In the, perhaps in the last five years, I've become aware of much more of a push in Yarmouth to have art available. And I think it's it would be wouldn't it be nice if we had a proper art gallery rather than shops that are just turned into? Because the problem with a small place is you can, people can feel very self-conscious walking in to a small place where there may only be one or two people looking around, as opposed to a large art gallery where there are lots of people going in, in and out and people don't perhaps feel quite so self-conscious. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. I mean, I've done that in London. I had days when, oh, it's rainy today, let's go and to the Tate or some post to doing something else. Mm. Once you're in, even though the sun comes out, you don't leave because you're then yeah. really into it. But the, it would be good if there was a proper place people could perhaps the top of Regent Road so that it's still in the town for people in the town, but the holiday makers still come up Regent Road. You know, I'm hoping that we find something else as well as the holiday industry. Th this town at the minute is dying because we lost the fishing it was fishing and then it was uh the oil and the gas and those things have gone and we've not really found another core industry uh, maybe industry is the wrong word nowadays because uh but we, it needs another core area of work for people because a lot of people only have work in the summer you can't live a good life if you're only getting paid eight months of the year because you've got to make that eight months money last 12 months so it might seem a lot of money for eight months but you've you know if you divide so we need that's what i hope i hope that we find another 
point of income for people because this is a very poor town and until you deal with the poverty it's not going to grow it's not going to change and it's and if you're deprived of the things that you're entitled to have you try and find quite rightly you find somebody to blame instead of blaming the people that you should blame the billionaires that are shooting money off going up in space rocket blame the black man walking down the street who's obviously got a nice suit on and you and you've just bought from a second hand shop um i don't know where i got there from oh yes people not having work if if people are deprived they will find they want they want to know why it's not, it's not their fault they they know it's not their fault they're frequently working and still not got enough money so it can't be their fault but they blame as i say the, the black man walking down the street in his good suit rather than somebody who's spending millions going up for 5 minutes in space or what do they do with all that money never in their wildest dreams can they possibly spend even a fraction of that money i mean that's why that's why the footballer marcus rutherford has rushford yeah. rushford has yeah. that's why he's become a bit of a hero uh for a lot of people because he's taken his money and he's turned around and shown the politicians how to behave and so he's become a hero for anybody with money should be behaving like that he should, i i'm not trying to um put him down at all he shouldn't be a hero that should be the normal behavior with for people who are earning that kind of money and if if all the people with that kind of money behave like that they wouldn't have to because you know people's lives would be better anyway wouldn't and and the fact that it's it's okay to pay people money that it's not possible to live on that somebody can be working a 40 hour week and still not have enough money to pay their bills and feed their kids how can that be right we have a, a an mp who you never see in town never see him in town because he's too busy because his main focus is on his career not on the people of yarmouth very unloved town and there are individuals in our council who are really good guys there are individuals who are really good guys but the ethos of the whole council is not is not good it's not about and they don't have that the council doesn't have that much money actually but one feels that it's it's all to do with uh balancing the books there are some members of the council who besides doing their council are out there actually helping people running food bank uh, running um community allotments um uh, making sure that kids have got ipads not ipads but um things to do their school work on when and then you get the other members of the council whose only interest is being in the council i don't know for their own glory i think 